Welcome back, all you great geek refugees, to the GGR Pirate Radio Podcast. My name is Mike Lunsford. I'm the editor-in-chief of GGR. That is the Great Geek Refuge. Check us out. We've got an awesome website with all sorts of great content. The podcasts are there. Our articles are there. Uh, and it's www.greatgeekrefuge.com. And pause just for a moment, because prepare yourself. This is big news. I've got Steve back. I found him. It was hard, because Pittsburgh's a big place Lots of places for him to hide. Uh, turns out he was watching a Pirates game. Um, stuck there, just with all the other fans going nuts, eating uh, from Andy Brothers sandwiches. But we found Steve Monick. We finally got him back on the podcast. Welcome back, Steve. Yeah, Mike's check finally cleared, so I decided to show back up. Um, yeah, unfortunately, if you're familiar with Pittsburgh, you know the streets down there. They're basically one bridge stacked on top of another, so it takes a little while to get around. So finally back home where we can do some recording, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm super stoked about this. There's so much good stuff to talk about. Um, there's so much heartbreaking stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I'm just I'm just stoked to be doing this again with you, Steve. Uh, welcome back, man. I'm glad we were able to sync our schedules up and do this. Pretty awesome. And I really missed out on the uh, podcast you guys did last week. I know I'm not a DC native, but any chance I get to talk about sports, ask my friends, family. I don't shut up about it. You know, I'll talk about it with my brother, my friends, random strangers on the street. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, and maybe having you here would have been nice because maybe you would have offset the DC bias that Vic and I had <laughs> because in the end, it ended up being more of a bad thing than it was a good thing because the Cavs were up three games to one. Yeah. And I, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, as Vic brings up the Cavs, I was like, I can talk about this. This is no big deal. They'll win one game of the next three. There's no way they're going to lose all of them, is there? Surely they won't go zero for three in the next three games. There's no possible way they could possibly lose three in a row. And they did, unfortunately. Um, And, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit because I want to start with, uh, again, because you're back, you know, welcome back again. We'll start with your wheelhouse. You're a huge NBA fan. Let's start with the NBA playoffs. Yeah, and unfortunately, I am a Chicago Bulls fan. I have been ever since I was a little kid. Um, you know, watching Michael Jordan play. You know, I'm I'm six four myself, so I've always played basketball. I've always been a head taller, so I've naturally gravitated towards the sport and followed the Bulls ever since. Even when they were terrible after the post Jordan years, and now they're finally good. And where I was hoping this was the year, and of course, it had to be the Cavaliers that we lose to, and it just just my heart sank when I turned the, the game on after I got home from work and it's like 90 to 63 and I just wanted to cry. Yeah. If it makes you feel better, um, the Gilbert arenas years when, when he was with the wizards and they were good <laughs> and he wasn't like bringing guns into the locker room. The Cavs did the same thing to us. They broke my heart multiple times. I was like, this is the best chance we've had at a championship basketball team in years. And we have to run into the buzzsaw that is LeBron James and his crappy Cleveland Cavaliers team. Yeah, it's a it's an absolute killer, and and for me it was okay, awesome. Uh, no Kevin Love, no J.R. Smith for the first two games. We can get out running and get to a real good start, and we did. And then we'll talk about Game Four and how that ended, and I have a lot to say about that. And then Pau Gasol's hurt, so it's kind of we started the series with a huge advantage, and then we lost it and never recovered. Yeah, and that's and you know. Again, back to the you know to my side here, the DC thing. Um, not a huge basketball fan, but I mean, since I am a local guy, I mean, I try to follow the Wizards as best I can. And they came out after sweeping the Raptors and looking amazing. 
they came out and they kind of slapped the Hawks in the face. Yeah. And beat them in that game one. And everybody was really kind of shocked about that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. We might have something. And then John Wall hurts himself. Yep. Um, which was just devastating. But then they've, they've hung in there. Like, they're losing right now three games to two. But they're hanging in every single game. And I was actually watching, uh, was it game three? Uh, when Pierce hit that game winner. I think it was game three. Yeah. Yeah, when he had the game winner, and I'm sitting there with my wife, and we're watching it, and there's like 10 seconds left, and Paul Pierce gets the ball, and he just holds it. And I was like, what is he doing? What is he doing? And my wife's like, why isn't he shooting it? I was like, oh, he's going to wait till the last second. And <laughs> as I said that, he turned around and shot that shot and banked it right off the backboard and went in. And I was like, I can't believe that just happened. That's amazing. And she was just like, I've never seen anything like that either. And we were both just like in awe of Paul Pierce. And we were like, this is what the Wizards have needed for years is a guy like this. And then the next game, he tries to do the same thing against the Hawks. He hits that, he hits that three and looks at the Hawks bench and he goes serious. And then freaking Al Horford dumps to win the game at the last possible second. I was like, wow, this is. I guess it's like karma because he hit that game winner the one before and really kind of showed everybody that the Wizards were not to be trifled with. And then the next chance he gets to do a game-winning shot, there's like two seconds left and Al Horford dunks on him. Like, I guess you can only call it out like that once in a while and you yeah, can't do it every single time. fair play. I, exactly, my, yeah. my brother is a humongous Boston Celtics fan, so I've spent years watching the Celtics with him and I'm yep. well-versed in Paul Pierce and his character and you know the kind of plays and stuff that he makes. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure like even to this day, years of watching him, I'm not sure if I like the guy or not, but you can't deny the guy can make a big shot. He can play well. Um, I've never been a Hawks believer this year. Like, even though they had, like, the great rec, best record in the East and all that, I'm just kind of like, yeah, but I don't know. And I'm not going to be surprised, even though they're down 3-2, I'm not going to be surprised if the Wizards beat them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would go nuts. It would be awesome because that's kind of what DC needs at this point after what happened with the Caps Rangers. Um, we need a team that, that can find that extra gear, that can find that way to get to the next level and find a way to, like, essentially put their foot on the throat of their opponent and finish them off. And, like, the Caps can't do it. The Nats can't do it. Jeez, they were up 6 nothing in Game 5 against the Cardinals um, and just saw that lead evaporate. And no, I can't think of any team that really has that killer instinct anymore. Um, but you can even take it to the Redskins, for that matter, where they were up 14 nothing on the Seahawks, and then they just imploded. And, I mean, both literally and RG3's knees figuratively. Um, it's, it, it just seems kind of like DC's thing. And again, I don't think it's a curse. I think it's just experience. I think it's having the right pieces together. I think it's one player making the team look a lot better than they actually are and kind of hotting a lot of deficiencies because the teams are not always put together the way they should be. Yeah. And, and the Pittsburgh side, like for our teams, our problems always, we end up playing to the level of our opponents, and that's why our teams end up being kind of streaky. So, like, the Pens, for example, this year, I mean, there's some amazing teams that they were able to beat this year, and there were some just absolute garbage games that we lost for no reason. Uh, the Steelers do it all the time. Last year, we lost the Bucks and the Jets, two top six drafting position teams, <laughs> lost yeah. to both of them. Um, so, I mean, it's weird to talk to someone who... You know, their team, like, they're always at a constant level and they're just trying to get to the next plateau where we kind of jump up and down from, like, the highest possible level to some head-scratching games where you're like, what 
happened there? Like, how did you lose to the Bucks in the last minute? Like, how do you let Josh McCown and and Mike Glennon beat you? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and going back to the Bulls and everything like that, that's kind of my first taste for that. Because the Bulls... Um, they just every year they just seem just there and then they're an injury short this year is Paul Gasol the last two years it was Derrick Rose and everybody keeps yep. saying god if we were just full strength for one season we could get to that next level we could make it to the Eastern Conference Championship we could make yep. it to the finals and then someone gets hurt and they just can't finish strong it's it's almost like they as a team get hit with this low morale like oh another injury i i just not yeah. even gonna play anymore i'm just done well you know and i think that is a really good parallel they compare really really well in that aspect to my favorite team just any sport across the across the board my favorite team is the washington capitals when it comes to hockey and as i was saying before you know they they i'm not going to use the word choke because i think if they had been the one seed and lost to an eight seed that's choking yeah. if they were up three to nothing in game seven on the precipice of going to the next round. And then all of a sudden they give up four goals in the third period. That's choking going seven games with the president's cup team, the best team in the league all year, each game being decided by one goal and the last goal being scored in overtime on a fluky bounce. I don't think that's, I don't think that's choking. That's not, that's not cursed. I think that they're just a player away. And hopefully my little brother is listening to this because we jokingly refer to it all the time whenever we go to a Caps game or whenever we're watching one, how much we hate Mike Green. But, like, our, our hatred is actually real because this guy is, like, <laughs> overpaid. He had a couple of good years, a couple of amazing years. But, like, now, in, in Game 7, for instance, in the second period, he committed two just completely boneheaded penalties that took all the momentum away from the Caps because they were up. Ovechkin scored the first game goal. In Game 7, they were up one nothing. They were dominating the game. I mean, they were just more physical. They had all the momentum. And then they had three penalties in a row, two of them committed by Mike Green. And the Rangers scored on one of those power plays and got right back in the game. And I was I was just livid. I was like, this guy has to go. There's no way they're going to sign this guy back ever again. But just like you said with the Bulls, they're always like one player away. Or there's like one fluky thing that happens that keeps them from moving on to the next round. And I think that... Now they finally got the right coach. This guy Trotz is just amazing. He's got this team confident. He's got them playing the right way. They get rid of that loser Mike Green, and they get a defenseman that actually like doesn't commit stupid penalties for no reason. <laughs> I think they're going to be in the Eastern Conference next year. I think they're going to be in the Stanley Cup. Ovechkin will actually get one, and I can stop having people put on my Facebook that awful joke, hey, you know how to go to a bar and ask for an Alex Ovechkin? It's a white Russian with no cup. Ooh, I'm so 16, that's a stupid meme. I'm so tired of seeing that. I, I would just love nothing more than anything to see him ho- hoist that cup and just shut everybody up. I actually just made that joke my new email signature, so thank you very much for that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that you're willing to just burn me as often as you possibly can, Steve, sending me emails about everything. Hey, Mike, what about this? How's your just day? So you can show you me that, that little What you doing? Yeah. And then it'll be a very beautiful picture of Sidney Crosby holding up his. But, um, <sighs> so going back to, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, and, see, I don't know. For me, hockey's probably third on my list, so I got to say yeah. I'm not quite well versed because it sounds, you know, for you, I know hockey is the precipice like that is your sport yeah. um yeah kind of tied with baseball um yeah depends i don't know it just seems like there's some real trouble just putting the team together and keeping it together um 
on our winning years where we had you know the Stanley Cup run where we'd make deep runs into the playoffs, we had an extremely strong core stable players. You know, we were two, three lines deep, and I never since we lost some of those guys have felt that way. Um, yeah, two of them are in Washington right now. Niskanen and uh, Orpik are both playing on the, the blue line for the Caps. And I think that's, I mean, more so than any other sport. And you and uh, Vic were talking about last week. You know, yep. there's certain sports where you have that one guy who can really take over. And I think basketball is probably the best example of that. I mean, you yep. can have a LeBron, a Derrick Rose, a Michael Jordan, a you know, John Wall, whoever. that really just takes over the game. They said, okay, there's two minutes. We need eight points. I'm getting it. You know, I'm making that yeah. happen. I mean, um, look at Reggie Miller in that Knicks game where he – what he scored like eight points in seven seconds or something ridiculous Reggie like Miller. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Oh, my brother, he he loved the Knicks and like because of yeah. course me and him never agree on teams ever. Yeah. So That's I'm rooting my- for Michael Jordan yeah. in the Bulls. He's rooting for Patrick Ewing in the Knicks, and so that just broke his heart because they're up by like seven points and Reggie Miller's like I'm just gonna score eight in like eleven seconds or whatever it ended up was. <laughs> and um, it just like talks trash to Spike Lee after he does it too. Uh, like, oh yeah, those disgusting pinstripe jerseys. Um, oh God, what were you even talking about? Oh, yeah, but for yeah. hockey, I mean, there's definitely, you have to have your your star. You have to have your guy. Yeah. But the way it's so quick-paced, line changes and stuff, I think that, except for maybe football, is the sport you have to have a deep bench if you want to make a deep run in the playoffs. Because otherwise, you just tire out, you don't have the talent yeah. to match up, and then you end up having to be overly aggressive, which is what happened with the Caps. And, and that was one of the points you're talking about was their strengths with Vic. They were overpowering the Rangers. Well, they yeah. just got too far to that, take those stupid penalties, ends up yeah. shooting themselves in the foot. Well, and it was one of those things, too, where you saw that even though they were the, I mean, they were the two seed, but like the difference between the two, the three, the four, the five was like a couple of points. Yeah. So all those teams were really, really close together. The Rangers were really kind of the cream of the crowd. So... They, everybody knew going in that they were going to be the number one seed and that they were going to be the team to beat. But everybody really was thinking, oh, Rangers in five, Rangers in six, when the Caps beat the Islanders to get the next round. For them to play this way, though, shows that they're not the old Caps. They're not the Caps that are just scoring goals, and then when it gets into the playoffs and goals are at a premium, they can't do anything. They don't have the defensive... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't have the, the, the backups. They don't have the wherewithal to have enough players that play defense the right way. You're not like, for instance, um, Adam Oates was their coach two years ago when they played the Rangers in the playoffs. Half of their defensemen were guys they had to call up from the AHL. So they had no experience. They were just putting bodies out there. But that's why as soon as Oates was gone and as soon as McPhee, their GM was gone, they went out and they spent a lot of money on the blue line on putting in good, solid defensemen. Granted, they just stole them from Pittsburgh. But it's it worked, you know, and it, and it shows that if you do this the right way, it changes an entire team's landscape. And I think, like I was saying before, you put the right pieces in place. This is going to be a completely different team. And it, back to your point where we were saying like one player taking over an entire game. Look at Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky is the, the greatest hockey player of all time. I mean, you can't argue with it. He ended up winning all of his cups in the early in his uh, career. I want to say it was like the like fourth or fifth year. Uh, they won like two or three in a row. After that, that's when he got traded to the Kings. And he played a ton of years with the Kings. He played with uh, the St. Louis. He played with the Rangers uh, for a little bit. Never won another cup. And it shows you that you can't just have one player. You can't just be the greatest of all time, which he was. 
because you need those other pieces. You need that depth, which was the word I was struggling horribly for before. You need that depth so that when Gretzky's not on the ice, you have somebody else who can score goals. You have somebody else who can knock somebody on their face and actually do something. And fingers crossed here, you know, I say this and then all of a sudden they they spiral downward. But I think next year, if we're having this podcast again, we're going to be talking a different tune when it comes to the Caps. Yeah, and I think uh, just to, to rephrase, maybe to reiterate, I don't yep. think even basketball, I don't think there's any sport other than individual sports where you can do it by yourself. I just think yep. basketball is the the smallest margin where you just need a few role players. I mean, LeBron could not do it in Cleveland. He went and got other talent with him in Miami, and that's when he was able to win. And yep. even coming back to Cleveland, he didn't come back. He had to have Kyrie Irving. They had to bring Kevin Love. He knew he couldn't do it by himself. Uh, I think that has the smallest margin of yeah. how much talent you need around you, whereas hockey, you need much more than obviously the NFL. I mean, how unsung are offensive linemen, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, linebackers, stuff like that. You look at the wide receiver, the quarterback, the running back, like the guys you play as in Madden. Yeah. Nobody gives a crap about the the big monsters in the middle, but none of those guys can do their job without them. Um, exactly. I think that's the probably the most team-oriented sport, you know, where if any one piece breaks down, it doesn't matter how good the rest of them are. Yeah, well, look at the old days. I mean, you it, I mean, we're only four years apart in age. Um, you might have been a basketball fan at this point, but when Jordan, before he got Pippen and before they went on that run where they won their three in a row, um, they couldn't pass the Pistons. Yep, the bad and boys. And it was essentially, yeah, it was essentially like the Michael Jordan show. That was that was the Chicago Bulls. And it shows that even the greatest basketball player of our generation can't do it by himself. Once he got the other pieces around him, and granted, once the Pistons all broke up and sent off to other teams they were able to get over that hump and they were able to win those three championships in a row one of my favorite things i've ever owned in my entire life uh was a video it was the 1991 chicago bulls championship kind of <laughs> you know retrospective it was called yeah. learning to fly um even play i think i, had, I actually Tom think i had Petty. it too yeah i think and kid had you that. can tell because Michael Jordan in those early years in the 80s and stuff, and it did a little retrospective on that. He'd score an insane amount of points. He'd fill the stands. That was about all it was good for. The line that always changed it for me in that interview goes, my job is the utility man. My job is to fill in wherever the team needs me. And I think that was the point where he realized, I can't just be a scorer. I need to play defense. I need to pass. I need to yeah. sometimes hit the big shot, the big three push yeah. Brian Russell out of the way and beat the jazz. You know, he has to understand he has to do those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's a lesson. I think a lot of the superstars have to learn on like, all right, I want to get my paycheck. I want to be the star. And then a couple years down the road, Oh, if I want to win, I got to be a teammate, yeah. not just a player. And I'm starting to see that in Ovechkin that like those first couple of years, he was just all offensive minded. And when Boudreaux or when Oates uh, were the coaches, he would play offense, but he was very poor on defense. And this year, when Trotz came in, Barry Trotz really reinforced with him that you've got to play two-way hockey. You've got to play defense, too. And he fixed his plus-minus. His plus-minus was something awful last year. And this year, it was one of the better in the league. So he's showing that he's committed to winning, not just padding his stats and winning MVP trophies and the scoring title. Like, he wants to be that player. And maybe I'm biased because Caps are my favorite team and Ovechkin is my favorite player. 
but I see that Jordan-esque transition with him where it's like, I'm starting to get the right pieces in place. I now have to be a leader. I can't just be the flashy ESPN highlight guy. I have to do something to lead this team. If I really want to be successful and I want to be the greatest, I have to win a championship too. And I think that uh, stat you just mentioned, the plus minus for both basketball and for hockey, I know it can be sometimes a little misleading depending on like if the starters are playing, like the first line's playing against the fourth line or in the NBA, you know, the starters are playing against the bench or whatever. But uh, to me, that's the true hallmark of how you're contributing to your team. Um, yeah. I don't care how many points you're scoring, how many rebounds you're getting. I feel like the plus minus tells that you're playing both sides, offense and defense. You're contributing all the way around. Yeah. Now let's um, – we talked about basketball. We've talked about hockey. Um, I made my feelings clear about this last week. But now that they've announced what the actual punishment is from Deflate Gate, uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the NFL a little bit here. You yeah, didn't really uh, say anything, obviously, because you weren't here last week. But I mean, <laughs> I, I'm gonna let you start off, man. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about all this stuff? What do you think uh, about the deflate gate, about the penalty, uh, the actual suspension, uh, what they penalized the Pats for, that sort of stuff? So, knowing the NFL schedule as it lays, I thought the appropriate pe- uh, penalty would have been a one-game suspension. I would have been perfect because oh, they start off against the Steelers. Yeah, then we don't have to play them. Um, I kind of knew they were going to hammer Brady. I mean, I knew just to save face. And for me, a lot of it is kind of going back to what you and Vic were talking about. Um, To me, I feel like Brady invites a lot of this stuff. And the Patriots invite a lot of it. And it has nothing to do with their actual actions as far as did they cheat? Did they do Spygate? Did they do Deflategate? But the way they interact with the media, the way they conduct their press conferences, the way they present themselves to the public makes people not want to like them. And then so anytime you're put in the public eye, they're immediately going to go, well, clearly they did it because, look, they're kind of jerks. I'm sure they did this. If they were super nice and personable, if Brady went out there and said right after, you know, between the championship game and the Super Bowl and said, look, I like it at the bare minimum. I'm going to be honest with you. I want it as low pressure as the NFL will allow because that's how I feel I can throw it best. That's what I told my guys to do. If they, whether knowingly or accidentally, underinflated it, didn't do it to what it's supposed to be, I guess that's on me because I told them to make it as low as possible, but I did not tell them to cheat. That's, That's what I wanted. So I'm sorry if that was the case. If he says something like that, I don't think anyone is going to be like, you know, crucify him. Like, I hate yeah. this guy. He's going to be like, all right, well, at least he fessed up to it. He gets one game. Everyone moves on. The Patriots losing those draft picks, though, man, that's the big thing. I mean, holy crap, a first and a fourth rounder. I think that's yeah. the biggest penny out of any of it. Yeah. You know, with any of this, though, I honestly, I got to applaud you for that. That was a great point you made. Like, if he had come out and said – exactly what you said. I think that would have made this a whole different situation. But from my standpoint with all of this, I just, I have a real problem with the way the investigation was done. I think it was suspect at best. There was really no proof with any of this. And like, perfect example is like all of the stuff when you add it up, when you look at all of the things that they said, oh, this proves that he's guilty. None of it was really proof. It was all just like if you were determined anything is, man, that looks pretty bad, but it's no actual proof. And a perfect example would be the gauges that they used 
to measure the PSI in the footballs. The two gauges that they used, one had a variance of 0.35 PSI to the other one. The problem is, is they didn't notate which one of those gauges they used to measure the balls. So let's say, for instance, the variance was one of the, the Patriots balls was, you know, 0.25. Well, that means that if it was the same pressure gauge, it would have been at standard. But the problem is also, too, they didn't notate any of the measurements. So they didn't notate which balls were underinflated, which um, gauge they used. So it's it's really just kind of just what they were saying. And then when they asked the referees about it, you know, hey, which one do you use? How did you measure it? Where was it done? Was it inside? Was it outside? They were like, oh, I don't recall. I just remember that they were underinflated. Really? Like, you're going to crucify somebody for that? That's your proof? But then also, too, another perfect example is this guy, Wells. Like, Ted Wells. The guys who they hired to do the investigation for this. This is the same guy that the NFL hired uh, to do an investigation about the Dolphins bullying case. You remember the Magneto from a couple years ago? Yeah. So, and even with that one, too, they found the Dolphins were um, somewhat aware, and they find them or something like that. But again, even the, infinite, uh, the evidence in that one was circumstantial at best. And they were some pretty severe punishments with that as well. The other issue that I have with this is the NFL PA never actually approved Wells to do an investigation on Brady. And for them to say, oh, well, Brady wouldn't give over his cell phone. Well, he even said, I'm not giving you my cell phone because the Players Association hasn't agreed with this investigation. So I'm not just going to hand you my stuff when I don't even know what you're going to be doing with it. Um, my biggest issue also, too, and we've talked about this before with the NFL and their... Um, they just love trying to make a story. They love trying to have the narrative. ESPN. Anytime they would do a story about this, before they would do it, and this came out about a week ago, they had we would talk to the NFL first and get it approved. Hey, can we say this about Deflategate? And the NFL was like, yeah, okay. So, because they're business partners, they don't want to hurt the NFL's feelings. They don't want to piss the NFL off and have them like change the contract or not renew it when it's up for renewal and then re-sign with like Fox or ABC or something like that. What happened to journalistic integrity? What happened to like trying to report the truth instead of trying to help your business partner? That's the issue that I have with this too. And ESPN has not said a single thing that hasn't been like right up the butt of of the NFL. Oh, well, Roger Goodell is is perfect. He never does anything wrong. It, It just, it really, really bothers me that this isn't, if they had had actual proof and they had like a picture of Tom Brady like slipping the guy some cash and being like hey you know make sure the inflation on this ball is real low you know then I'd be like why Tom why'd you do it Tom you know say it ain't so Tom um it just it it just doesn't seem right maybe it's because I'm a Pats fan but I don't think so I think this is just more my sense of justice and like wanting it to make sense the way I look at these things too and whether it's deflate gate the Ray Rice thing any sort of potential controversy where the NFL has to backtrack or make a lot of public statements is that we all tend to forget that both the people reporting on it and the people playing the game, it's all entertainment. It's not like we treat it like it's a legal court case. And even the ones that are, you know, that ties into it, whether it's people smoking weed or or beating their, their spouses or whatever it is. And we kind of lump this stuff into it, and we talk about it like it's a legal court case, like it's a murder case. And we forget that it's for entertainment. And so all that really matters to the people making decisions is what is going to be the least blowback, what is going to ensure that we keep the most people watching and spending the most money. And last year's NFL season 
despite all of it, despite the flake gate, despite Ray Rice starting off the season, was the highest rated NFL season of all time. People really? continue wow. to watch no matter what. And I think that's the that. part we forgot because we're always talking about the details, the minutia of, okay, well, what is the pounds per square inch? It almost like, uh, does OJ's glove fit? Like we talk about it, the exact same parlance, <laughs> the exact yeah. same mentality of it. And we kind of forget that what they're trying to do is save face and talk about all these little points and all these little details because then you kind of get it all out of your system. And when training camp rolls around, you're kind of done talking about it. And the only thing that matters about it is Brady suspended for four games. How does that affect your team? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a great point, man. And this is why I'm, again, I'm glad you're back on the podcast (laughs) because so many people, it's just like, Oh, they need to suspend Brady. They should kick him out of the league. And of course they're like Jets fans, you know, like, (laughs) and no one can think like outside of the box of their little, I love my sports team and I don't like the Patriots kind of thing. And that's a really good point is it's not uh, in a court of law. This is the NFL. This is ultimately a business and they can do whatever they want by establishing their own laws. You know, they have their own bylaws. They have their own rules. You know, when you sign a contract with them, you're saying you're going to abide by those rules. The problem that I have is when you have an unfair set of circumstances, when you have an unfair standard for this, because when is this ever in all the years that you've been watching football, have you ever heard of anything like this before? No. Has it ever and, come up? and it seems like it's Spygate, where it's one of those things, this is the blowing the, the lid off the thing, and all of these teams have been doing because you know, I guess that the Minnesota Vikings were putting the balls under heat lamps. Aaron yeah. Rodgers likes to overinflate the balls yeah. beyond the limit and stuff. So, I mean, it's Holy one of those crap. things Did where you hear, now we're hearing. Did you hear about Brad Johnson? Oh, yeah, where he, he paid money like back during the Super Bowl to get the ball just the way yeah. he liked it. I mean, $7,000. He he paid off NFL officials $7,000 to scuff up the footballs. <laughs> it's, it's no you don't hear these reports until you start hearing all of them. And it was the same yeah. thing with Spygate, like all of these different things um, about teams stealing signals and recording them and stuff. You know, yeah. you don't hear about them. No one cares about them. Until everyone starts caring about them and it's a big story when something like this happens. Yeah, I feel like, again, to go back to my my hatred for the NFL's love for creating the story, the narrative, I think they have to make somebody the bad guy. They have to make... Some team has to be the... I mean, for decades, it was the Raiders, right? Uh, In the 90s, if you weren't a... You know, which nobody likes the Cowboys. Let's be honest here. They just pretend to like the Cowboys when they're winning. Oh, I got a fun fact for you guys. You were talking last week about why the Cowboys are called America's team. Ties right in. It was a PR thing because JFK got assassinated in Dallas, and so they wanted the Cowboys to be America's team so people stopped associating Dallas with an American tragedy. Wow. Way to go, Steve. Yeah. That I was, was awesome. I was I didn't that notice that. I was Thank you podcast. for the research on that one. That's great. I just some fact. I like. I was listening to the podcast you guys did last week, and I was like, I know where they're called America's team because like Vic was like, why the heck are they called that anyway? Uh, yeah. And it just perfectly ties in because PR. It's it's back in the seventies. It doesn't matter what decade. It is a PR machine. It's just because yeah. of the technology, the interconnectivity we all have now with computers, smartphones, stuff like that. It's just a bigger machine, but it's always been a PR machine. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're 100% right. I mean, think of it like all the times that you've you've seen something like in the Super Bowl. They start like a perfect example and I'll use it against my my favorite team, the Redskins. Um, it was Super Bowl 17, 
I think, the one where the Redskins played the Broncos and Doug Williams was in there. They made this huge deal about Doug Williams being the first African-American quarterback uh, to play in the NFL or play in the Super Bowl. And they were like, oh, well, it's, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And he was like, it's, it's really not. I'm just a quarterback. I'm a quarterback on a team and I want to lead my team to victory. No different than John Elway wants to lead his team to victory. So there's always, like, they're always trying to create that. They're always turning the PR machine. And that's what makes me so mad about this. Because the NFL is only really concerned about politics and public image and not about fairness or justice. And another story that came out that has just furthered my hatred for the NFL is, did you read this story about the military appreciation things that they've been doing and how it's not, like, out of the kindness of the heart of the NFL like everybody has thought it's been, that the government has been paying the NFL billions of dollars to do these advertising campaigns and to put these jerseys out and stuff like that? I I haven't heard it, but it doesn't surprise me after I read all the money that they actually keep from the breast cancer awareness stuff. Yeah, that's my Um, other note that I have written here too. But it's like 90% of the royalties that they get. The wording is very tricky. You have to look it up because I don't remember off the top of my head exactly how it's worded. But they end up giving just a a fraction away to actual breast cancer research and keep the lion's share of it of what they get through their website on the pink jerseys and all the stuff they sell. So it, it just sucks because I love the sport. Like, I love watching football. I don't hold, like, the individual people accountable, you know, the players and that kind of stuff. Um, And I'm sure there's plenty of people, even in the organizations, that are just trying to provide, to put out a good product, to do their job well. And But it's the same thing with large corporations, any kind of business. When you kind of look at it as that big thing, it's easy to go, like, ugh, look at all this nasty stuff they're doing. Um, you know, it's it's this is their version of dumping oil into an ocean or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And it's it's frustrating because I do love sports so much. Just seeing how much of it is a PR machine, how it all is about public image, how it all it's about. Oh well, if we want Pepsi to re up their contract with the NFL to be the official soda sponsor of the NFL, then we're going to have to do this, 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 and this. And it's not about doing what's right or trying to help people or trying to do something to use that power for good it's about making money and you can't really fault them for that but at the same time you almost want to see them flip script i mean i would i'm not going to say i'm not going to not watch football that's the problem with this too it's all the stuff that they do pisses me off so much that i wish i could just be like well i'm never watching an nfl football ever again well if i said that i would be lying through my teeth because i'm gonna watch anyways right and it's like they know that away from us anyway it takes a time I spend with my my family away. Uh, me and my yeah. brother um, have played fantasy football for years together now, and it's one of the things that we absolutely enjoy doing. It's how we spend time together and bond yeah. as, as brothers. And it's one of those things like uh, it just it hurts a little bit when this kind of stuff happens. And no matter whether you're a Patriots person, a Tom Brady person, because you know five years from now it could be someone on your team. It's a, it's a general kind of statement that deflate gate is a an example of um and it just kind of gets to the point where you're talking about all this money that's necessary to make the machine run they have to make these choices to get the money and it you know otherwise there's no product out there and it just kind of sucks because eventually there will be a point where the ends are not going to justify the means for fans 
the stuff that gets swept under the rug, the deals that get made, the nonsense that you have to go through, the commercials you have to go through. I think one of the most staggering things I saw last uh, year, it was a chart, and it broke down, okay, from the minute you sit down when a football game starts to the minute it ends, it broke down by percentage how much time is spent on different things. 8% of the three hours you spend is actual football action. The rest is in-between plays, shots of replays, stats, commercials, guys in the commentator, which is all the different things you actually see during a game. Um, Not that that's all bad. I mean, that gives you a break, gives you a chance to talk about the last play or whatever. But 8% is all you're actually watching when you sit down to watch a football game. And eventually, it's you know it's going to get shaved down to six or seven percent. They're just going to get to a point where fans, it's not enough of a payout. You know, it, you know, you have to give a little bit of an incentive on the slot machine to keep the people pulling the arm down, or otherwise they're just going to stop doing it. Yeah, I mean, it, it stinks to think that way, but it's it makes it makes perfect sense that it's all about all of the other stuff going around. It's not about the, uh, what do they say? Like in the restaurant industry, it's not the steak that you sell. It's the sizzle. Exactly. That's what the NFL does. They're not selling the steak. They're, Oh look, Oh look, that guy's getting fajitas. Oh look, Oh look, the Jaguars have new uniforms. Oh, I want to have to watch that game. Like it's, again, it's all just this orchestrated product. And my last two points on this, that, that really bother me about all of this is like, I heard somebody on the radio talking about it. They were like, well, the Patriots shouldn't fight this because it might come to bite them later. And if they can play ball and just accept this, then maybe later they can use it as leverage. It's like a, it's like house of cards, like hearing like all these political backroom deals. It was the same thing with the Redskins and the Cowboys in 2012 and 2013 when they got those cap penalties. They got the cap penalties in an uncapped year, which means like, how can you get a cap penalty when there was no salary cap that year? Well, it turned out that there was this backroom deal where all the NFL owners kind of like gentlemen's agreement. Hey, we're not going to do anything shady with the cap to um, benefit us in this uncapped year. Well, there was no law written that said you couldn't do that. So then the the NFL ended up finding the Cowboys and the Redskins uh, guilty of breaking that cap. Well, that's the definition of collusion. Like you can't make rules when there are no rules and then and then punish people for breaking rules that didn't exist. And it was the same thing with Sean Payton in the uh, bounty scandal. They had no evidence against him, but because he's the head coach, we have to punish him. We're going to give him a year's suspension. It just, none of it really adds up. And maybe that's just me because I ultimately just want things to make sense and I want there to be justice. But I guess we're not going to get that. Well, Well, let's look more into what these guys did so we can make this a big story. Uh, so we have something between the Super Bowl and between um, training camp because we got to have something to generate excitement. I love yeah. football, and I think there's a lot of quality, a lot of good lessons that can be learned by playing the game You know, as a kid and stuff like that. It's just that, just like any other business, sometimes there's choices that are made for the good of the business technically or whatever, but it is at the you know the cost of maybe the right thing to do the moral thing to do um i i just wish there was a little more evidence one way or the other for the deflate gate thing i would feel better you know knowing whether the exact penalty that was put on the patriots was justified if there was more solid evidence one way or the other because i i frankly i don't care like i don't care whether he did it or not i just care that they get the appropriate 
penalty for whatever did transpire, and I don't think we're ever going to get that. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a cartoon in the Boston Globe that really crystallized the whole thing, and it said, oh, "Look, Tom Brady got four games for, uh, or yeah, four games for deflating the ball uh, in that game against the Colts." And then his wife says, well, that's funny. You know, if he had just thrown those balls against a railing in an elevator and it was on video, he only would have gotten two games. <laughs> and it was like, how crazy is that? That that's your definition of integrity for the league is, oh, well, this guy might have possibly at some point deflated a ball to get some sort of competitive advantage. But this other guy beat his wife so severely that she was unconscious. We're going to give him two games. We're going to give that guy that was messing with the football. Maybe we're going to give him four games. Like, that's... Really? Like, that's what you're going to do? And then when people get mad, they're like, oh, well, never mind. Uh, he's suspended. We're releasing him from the Ravens, and he's just going to sit there and think about what he did. Like, really? That's the, it, thing it, that's the whole thing is just, like, After all the stuff we've talked about, that's the thing that's given me hope, is that there is going to be that tipping point where the fans force them to have a level of accountability. And I think the Ray Rice thing was that first sign of, of, of that tipping point because yep. – you know, when Greg Hardy, uh, he plays for Dallas right now, he got a 10-game suspension even though he was completely acquitted of his crimes. The NFL's like, yeah, but you clearly still did something, and we're not going to be okay with that anymore. And even if it's for the nefarious reason of we don't want to lose fans and fans will leave if you do that, I mean, it might be doing the right thing for the wrong reason, but at least we're starting to force them to yeah. do the right thing. All right. Well, I think that we have um, we've definitely put this to rest. We've we've <laughs> yeah. put this to bed. We have said everything that needs to be said about this. I'm still excited. I'm still excited about the NFL season. The Redskins had a really good draft. Um, I think that this we're gonna we're, this is gonna be the make or break year for Archery Three. They finally oh, yeah. have the help on the offensive line. They got some great defensive help. They've got the right guys in place in the front office. They got a great GM. They got a new defensive coordinator. I'm so stoked to see what they're going to do this year. I was, like, I, was really I, proud I haven't been this excited in a long time. I was really proud of the Redskins. Um, the first year that they have draft picks again, uh, they actually did some good things with them. Like They didn't do anything crazy. They didn't do anything flashy. They just went and got solid players. And yeah. that hasn't been their mantra lately. <laughs> nope. Uh, so it's nice to see them like, hey, let's go get some offensive linemen. Like, let's go do some things that will actually help our guys out now that we have a first-round draft pick again. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. I think we'll do, I think the next podcast we do, we'll actually talk about the positives of the football season and what we're looking forward to and not this, like all the negatives. I think um, in a few months, like when training camp starts, I think we should do like an all football podcast, like a a training camp GGR special, like the things we're getting geeky about, uh, about the upcoming season, about the teams that are going to training camp and stuff like that. Well, you can go ahead and lock that one in, Steve. We're going to do done. that. So. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about some other things that we love to talk about here. Um, LeBron's pop, news. maybe? Well, let's talk about tell, LeBron. Um, tell, tell, them your, <laughs> tell them your story about from last podcast. Okay. So I was so upset because I couldn't find LeBron James Sprite remix or whatever stuff is called. At work, at our lovely corporate environment that I will not mention because um, they haven't sponsored us. Um, and. I'm not going to say their name unless they pay me. No free uh, advertising. That's right. That is right. Unless it's like, didn't we do Naked Juice at one point? We gave them a plug. We've actually done <laughs> like, plenty of free advertising yeah. throughout the course and history of this podcast. But certain places don't get free advertising. None for you. You have plenty <laughs> of advertising money already. Um, yeah, so I went downstairs at work 
um, into our little cafeteria area. And I was looking through, just, I was going to grab some lunch and like, like the shining beacon came down from the ceiling and shined directly onto the soda case. <laughs> and I saw Bron James remix Sprite. And I was like, oh, they have it. So I had to get one and I tried it and it, it didn't disappoint. It was amazing. It's like Sprite and cherry and orange. And I think there was a little heaven in there too. It was delicious. Like I finished it and then I had another break and I was like, I'm going to go buy another one. Yeah. I have to get another one of these sodas. They were that good. And two days later, all sold out. Everybody else had gotten onto it too. Like gone. Couldn't find it anymore, but like totally worth it. It's, it's too bad. I don't actually like LeBron James that much. I mean, if it was like the Alex Ovechkin uh, Sprite, which would probably be like, like beets Red Bull and, and vodka. Sprite, <laughs> Fred Cole and vodka. I was thinking it was gonna be Sprite, but like, oh, nope, okay, that's the Ovechkin special. Yeah, as long as you don't make that awful joke again, like <laughs> the white Russian. No yeah, exactly. No cup white that one, Russian. That would yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, you know, actually, I think that we'll have to do an article about that because I want to think of like other beverages or foods that would be named oh, after players so good like, a, like yeah. one of those like top 20 lists that we do <laughs> exactly yeah like well because like you can't do the roethlisberger that's that's been done you'd have to do something like that if you're going to do a pittsburgh steelers themed one but oh, i thought I'll... it'd be like a roofy colada well there's that but i mean but it, yeah i mean he stole that from quagmire from <laughs> yeah. family guys <laughs> yeah, there's, oh, yeah. that is that is ripe for an article yeah, I, I think we might have to tag team that one. We'll, yeah. we'll work on that one. That's gonna um, happen. Yeah, but let's talk about um, let's talk about that. There was a movie, wasn't there? Some big movie that people have been like freaking out about. I can't remember what the title of it is. Um, uh, Cinderella. Uh, Disney decided to remake its classic movie. For, no, oh, the live yeah. action one. Yeah. <laughs> no, Wait, wasn't there a superhero movie or something like? People were going nuts over, and it's made like a billion dollars. Oh yeah, the Can Avengers, the Secret Service. <laughs> I, oh God. That one was actually I, pretty that, good, but yeah, Ultron. Was it that's, really? I think that's yeah. what you're, I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, that today, is the one that we're I'm recording at. it on Friday, the fifteenth of May, two thousand fifteen, and Avengers two has just hit the billion dollar mark. Wow, twenty four awesome. days. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. I have not gotten a chance to see it yet. Um, but like I've been reading a ton about it, and just, like apparently Joss Whedon is so fried after doing this like he's got like nothing left in this tank and from what everybody was saying you can see it in the movie that he like put everything he could into making this movie right that it's there's nothing missing that it's it's the way it should have been done it's it's loyal to the the actual like source material there's not really any gaps in it it's exactly what you would want and i'll just say right here i have seen it i'm gonna do my best to not drop any spoilers or anything but anyone listening right now i'm not going to try and spoil it but if i do accidentally now might be the time to, to tune out uh for the next five ten minutes or so yeah. but honestly it's we're not i'm not just going to reveal the plot or anything right now um to your point mike from what i've heard uh unfortunately there was a little bit of conflict between what Marvel wanted and what Joss Whedon wanted on certain scenes and that, oh, really? and that aided to him being so fried out like he just he's just kind of putting his hands up he's he's kind of done with the thing because it was just so much effort I heard the same thing too that he was he was done for a couple of reasons so 
But as a Marvel fan, after seeing it, it was pretty much everything you wanted. I mean, it had all of the old cast from the original Avengers movie, and all of their characterization did not skip a beat. I mean, it was pretty much the same characters moving in a logical direction. The new characters they added, and I don't think this counts as a spoiler, but Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and The Vision are the key new characters in in addition to Ultron himself. All four of those characters I thought were spot on. Um, Absolutely awesome and looking forward to seeing some of them in the future. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard, Paul Bettany pretty much resurrected his career because somebody had told him maybe like three or four years ago, like that, like typical like 1930s, 1940s thing. You're never going to work in this town again, Bettany. You hear me? <laughs> like cigar in their mouth and like, you're through. Suspenders. You'll never work here again. And, but like, this has resurrected his career. And yeah, I think that's he's really been cool. voicing Iron Man's Jarvis yeah. in his, in his helmet, his, his computer for all three Iron Man movies and the Avengers movie. Um, and he, I will say, plays a much bigger role in this movie. Well, because now he has a body. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, like, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm, I still want to see it. That's the big thing, and it, and it hasn't. There hasn't been anything that's made me like, well, oh, I'm done with comic book movies. I don't want to see the stupid thing. Like, I still want to go check this out at some point. Um, I'll probably go check it out with my kid uh, now that he can actually like sit through a whole movie without like wanting to get up and go play video games, uh, in the arcade. So I'll go check this one out. But honestly, everybody else has been trashing it. I'm still excited about Ant-Man. I really want to go see this movie. I think it's going to be really, really good. And everybody's like, well, it's it's Ant-Man. It's stupid. I don't care about the hero. I care about the story. And from, I mean, I love Paul Rudd. He's hilarious. I think that his rewrite with Adam McKay, guy who's famous for doing um, Talladega Nights, for doing uh, Step Brothers. He was a writer on SNL for years. Um, I think that the two of them working together are going to make this an amazing script. And let me plug the website. I did a, um, what did I do? Splash page. I did a splash page about Ant-Man um, that's on there. So definitely check it out. You know, www.greggyrefuge.com. Uh, it's right there. There's a little link for the splash pages. Go check it out. Uh, read up on it and get as excited about this movie as I am. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the consternation, the problem the fans are having is that the other Marvel movies to this point have They've come out and said, here's your director, here's your writer, here's your cast. And that's just what it is, and they make it, and it's been awesome. Ant-Man was a pet project of Edgar Wright, and he was pushing for years to get this movie done. And then creative differences, there's been like two or three directors, Mm -hmm. a bunch of different rewrites. Like, this is the only Marvel movie that's had that kind of process. And I think that, more than anything, is what fans are worried about because the fans who already know ant-man know he actually has a pretty rich a pretty interesting story um hank pym is a very haunted character fights his own internal demons throughout the entire comic history that he has and then scott lang which i think paul rudd's an amazing casting job for oh yeah um he's an amazing character as well but to your average fan someone who doesn't know anything about comics to hear ant-man yep really ant-man and so yeah. you kind of have to have an extremely solid foundation to get your average fan, mm-hmm. not because of the quality, not because of anything about it. I just think I kind of get the feeling that Ant-Man's going to be the the lowest box office total of any Marvel movie to date. But 
I mean, a lot of people were saying the exact same thing about Guardians of the Galaxy this time last year. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I thought the same thing about Ant-Man and the parallel with Guardians of the Galaxy because nobody really... People can profess that they're a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan, but no, they're not. Like, that movie came out of nowhere. (laughs) And good for Marvel because they they nailed that one. that one. That movie was so good. And it was a property that not a lot of people knew a lot about, so they could kind of take liberties with it with the movie. Same thing, I think, with Ant-Man. Because, I mean, they are taking some liberties with the story. It's not exactly the same as a comic book, but it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm like I said, I was never a huge Ant-Man fan. But just reading the story and seeing the trailer and seeing that it's going to be kind of funny and kind of exciting combination, I'm, I'm stoked. I want to go. I definitely want to go see it when it comes out. Yeah, Marvel has the luxury, the cinematic universe, of almost having, you know, dozens of scripts written for each character in the history of the comics, and they get to kind of cherry-pick what version of the character, what storyline, what one's going to make the best impact. Sometimes they even blend two or three together. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think that story is predominantly taken from, like, the second and third volume of guardians of the galaxy volume one has a completely different cast of characters there's no star lord gamora there they're not even part of it the only one that's uh, yeah. similar is yondu the blue guy that with the whistling arrow you know and marvel kind of went through their catalog uh when disney uh, bought them out and was looking for products that weren't well known so that they could kind of tweak and do their own thing with and that's where big hero six came from and that movie was fantastic I really enjoyed it. My kid enjoyed it. I mean, it made a ton of money at the box office. Uh, it actually won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, too. So they're really doing some great things with uh, with the Marvel catalog now that they're, they've got this Disney uh, combination, this team-up that they've done, so to speak. Um, what are you looking forward to this summer? Like, what movies are you definitely going to go see when they come out? Obviously, Ant-Man. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm never going to miss a Marvel movie as long as they keep making them. Um, the other one I'm kind of excited about, and I, I don't know, I'm probably in the minority here, but Mission Impossible Five is coming out pretty soon. Yeah. I literally, since I was a baby, my dad and mom would watch the old original Mission Impossible show, and I would yeah. like be bought back and forth, like in my little baby swinging chair to the theme song. Like I come by Mission Impossible honestly. I've yeah. watched the original series, the redone series they did, 1987 and 88 played the Nintendo games. I mean, I love Mission Impossible. Even though the movies aren't quite to the caliber of the original show, because the original show was much more about deception, espionage. A lot of times, like, the villain would end up, like, you know, killing their own henchmen because he thought he stole something, or, you know, the, the villain didn't even realize that they had gotten away with the information. Like, it was a much more... Um, you know, about tricks and deception more so yeah. than action. But, you know, a two-hour movie, Blockbuster, is not going to sell that way. So, you know, I for what it is, I think they do a pretty good job of it. Um, and, you know, say what you will about Tom Cruise, but at least he does some crazy-ass stunts. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Mission Impossible 5 yet, but at the very end there's, like, a, a huge, like, cargo jet taking off from a runway, and he's hanging off the side of the door... And he literally did that stunt. He had, like, one bungee cord tethering him to the plane, and he was flying, like, 2,000 feet in the air, hanging off the side of an airplane. 
and pretty wow. much every Mission Impossible movie, he's done some like absurd stunt. In Mission Impossible Two, he climbed up, um, like he started off. He did like the free climbing off. I forget where it is. It's somewhere in like Arizona, New Mexico, like one of those rock faces. No yeah. cables, no nothing, just a little chalk bag, and he's just climbing up it like nothing. Um, in Mission Impossible Three, he does this uh, swing from one building to another in Hong Kong. In Mission Impossible Four, he obviously did that climb in that tower in um, in the Middle East. Was it Abu Dhabi? It's like the tallest building in the oh, world. The one in Dubai. Like, yeah. Dubai, that's what it is. It, it's that complete glass building. He really climbed up it, and he you know now he's doing this jet stunt. So I mean, he. Whether you agree with whatever he talks about as far as like his religion and his politics and all that kind of stuff, as an action star, there's nothing to be denied. The guy puts it all out there. I mean, having faith in the alien overlords and being reincarnated by the frozen spirits that were thrown into volcanoes, uh, and this is all brought to us by Oliver on Hubbard, obviously gives him the strength to do all of those stunts. So I clearly, yeah. I mean. <laughs> what about you? I mean, is there any movie that's jumping out to you for like the summer blockbuster season? You're definitely going to see with, with either just yourself or with Jax. You know, Ant-Man definitely. I want to go see that one. Um, I'm going to see if I can squeeze in um, Avengers. Um, he's got me, my son, Jax. Um, he's got me completely talked into this movie, uh, this Disney movie, it's called Inside Out, which is another Pixar flick. Um, and it's about like all of the emotions inside of your head um, working together and somehow happiness gets lost in the memory part of the brain and they have to go retrieve happiness. And it's very oh, wow. like cutesy and like, it's all about like, you know, and, like on the ex on the exterior, it's like a teenage girl, you know, so now she's not happy anymore and she's all sullen. So they're trying to explain that through, uh, through the story. And it looks, it looks interesting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so we'll have to go check that one out. And there's another one that's coming out too called Tomorrowland with George yes. Clooney, which looks amazing. Like, I think that's going to be a really, really, really good flick. Um, all the rest of them, though, are, not, are all not going to be coming out this summer, though. Like, I'm excited about the Superman and Batman one. Oh, um, I'm, ex- I'm excited about year. Star Wars. Um, I can't wait for Star Wars. I like, can't even talk about that right now. Like, this podcast would be another, I don't know, three hours if we started talking about the new <laughs> Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. Like, don't even. Just don't yeah. even. I'm, um, I'm, so, I'm so stoked about that Star Wars movie. You have no idea. That like, could be another series of podcasts. But you're right. Like the, It seems like the Christmas season is actually going to be a little more, other than the Marvel movies, because yeah. not only does Star Wars come out in December, but the beginning of November is the, the next James Bond movie, Spectre. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I own every James Bond movie. Like I love James Bond and probably goes back to that Mission Impossible thing, just spies and stuff. But, I mean, Spectre, if you're a James Bond fan, goes back to the first, you know, Sean Connery movies. The Spectre was the organization that he was fighting against. And it's James Bond, and the bad guy's Christopher Waltz. And that Ooh, guy from, just uh, knows how to play, like, one of those villains that you just... You know he's a bad guy, but you still love watching him. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure... I'd have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure it's directed by the same guy who did... Skyfall, the same director. Yeah, I still haven't seen Skyfall, and I, I need to pick that one up um, and see that because I really liked Quantum of Solace was okay. Um, what was the other one? Um, Casino Royale was amazing. Like that was 
it was the first time that I had watched James Bond in a movie and actually was like, wow, I'm afraid of James Bond. <laughs> Kill me. Viciously. Like, the other ones are just like, like Connery, you're not afraid of. He's just like, oh, I'm Bond, James Bond, I'm slick, and I share things like this. And you're like, are you really cool? But I'm not really afraid of you. And same thing with Pierce Brosnan. No one's afraid of Pierce Brosnan. Like, but yeah, like Daniel Craig just brings that like frightening aspect to James Bond. And I will say, I mean, I agree. Quantum of Solace was one of my, I, I, I put it this way, one of my less favorites because I, I love all the James Bond movies, even the Roger Moore ones. Those ones, there's one he's running around as a clown, like literally a clown to get rid of a bomb. Even that I still can enjoy. But yeah, for, for Casino Royale and Skyfall really knock it out of the park. And Skyfall is littered with Bond-type references from past movies. Um, like the the exact model Aston Martin he uses. Um, the way that the um, office, the MI6 office, is completely decorated. Um, yeah. Not to give any spoilers, but one of the characters is kind of representative of a character from the original movies. And so if it's the same team that's doing Spectre and they're bringing Spectre into it, I'm yeah. extremely excited about it. That just seems to be the thing because Mission Impossible 5, they're bringing in basically what was Mission Impossible Spectre. Uh, they're, they were called The Syndicate. And that's yeah. like the bad guy, Impossible Mission Force. So apparently that's the thing to do with spy movies this year is bring in the evil counterpart of that that group um, and have them go head to head, which I'm fine with. That that sounds like a lot of double crossing and spy work, and I'm yeah. very excited for that. Absolutely. Well, I think we have done our service. I definitely think we have done our podcast justice. I think it was a good comeback. It was a nice uh, reunion of sorts for us to. Uh, Talk about the two things we love the most, uh, comic books and movies, and then, of course, uh, sports. So it was good to, good to do this again, man. We'll yeah, have dude, to, I uh, mean, it feels, it feels like we haven't missed a beat. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll have to do another one here soon. Hopefully, you can come down uh, for AwesomeCon. Uh, yeah, tell, the the awesome hmm? tell the people about AwesomeCon. Tell the people about AwesomeCon. Oh, yeah, AwesomeCon. So if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, or even if you're not and you want to make the commute, um, it is May the 29th, May the 30th, and May the 31st. It is going to be at the DC Convention Center, uh, myself, uh, and Ben Shaw will be there uh, showcasing our comic book, Ethan Stone P.I., but we're also going to be doing some GGR stuff. I wanted to do t-shirts, and we talked about like the uh, oh, uh, Guns of Fajerks t-shirt, yeah. but instead uh, we're going to do stickers because those are really easy to produce, and I've got a really, really cool sticker design that we're going to do, so we're going to be selling those. Oh, wow. I'll make sure you get some if you're not able to come down to D.C., but it's going to be a fun time. Uh, we'll be there. I mean, gosh, William Shatner is going to be there. George Takei is going to be there. Uh, Ralph Macchio is going to be there. All your Star Trek favorites. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, you know, the Captain Karate Kid is going to be there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be a really, really good time. I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully you can join us. But yeah, I mean, if any of you guys out there in podcast land uh, come by, I mean, definitely say hello. Um, we'll give, We'll sign your comic book. So it'll be worth dozens and dozens of dollars one day. Um, and you can see some of our cool stuff that we've got. And the comic book he's referencing, because I feel Mike might be a little too modest, um, him and, and Ben Shaw, the, the guy he mentioned just a moment ago, um, they're the team that created a comic known as Ethan Stone P.I. Um, you can check it out on GGR. Uh, you can actually purchase it right there. Yeah, um, we just put the collector's edition out, too, uh, which just we just got those in. And that's what I'd recommend picking up. 
that's what I'd recommend picking up. I mean, if you're like me, I'm a purist. I like to collect individual issues, but the collector's edition collects both issues one and two. Um, has some bonus features, some sneak peeks at issue three. Um, it's closer to a trade paperback than it is an individual yeah. issue. Um, a great way to get caught up in the little two-part intro to the series, and it is extremely well-written and drawn by the team here, so I highly recommend picking it up. I've been reading comics my whole life, and it is right in my long box right next to my Marvel and DC stuff. Oh, thanks, Steve. That's it. It's, it's God's honest truth, man. I was a, a, a glowing recommendation for Ethan Stone, P.I., so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and issue three, right around the corner. We're talking like right at Comic-Con. We're going to have the issue finished. Um, I mean, it's featuring the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, I'm so excited about this issue. You have no idea. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but I have goosebumps, guys. <laughs> They're there. They're legit. I swear to God. <laughs> Trust me. But we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, uh, again, for GGR, uh, Pirate Radio. Uh, my name is Mike Lunsford. I'm Steve. Thanks again, guys. Peace.